session with Dr. Farid Hulaku. Good evening and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Talakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number, 310-441-0555. So this is the last show of 2019 that I'll be doing, because, uh, and actually Wednesday, which will be January 1st, I won't be doing a show because of New Year's um, holiday. So have some kind of housekeeping to do because we didn't do shows last week, for the Christmas holiday. So there's two books that I'll talk about, but also announce the book for next week. Um, and so for next week, I'm actually reading a classic book, The Little Prince by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. And I'm sure I classically uh, mispronounced that last name. I'm sure you're all very familiar with that book, The Little Prince. Uh, it's one of those books that in on the surface, it looks like it could be a children's book, but it's a very deep book with a lot of uh, meaning to it. So looking forward to reading it. I think I've read it two or three times before, but to read it again and to talk about that book on next Monday's show. But tonight I'll talk about two books, the first of which essentially was the book of the week two weeks ago, and then I'll uh, talk about the next book in the next segment. But the book from two weeks ago uh, is Permission to Feel by Mark Brackett. Permission to Feel Unlocking the Power of Emotions to Help Our Kids, Ourselves, and Our Society Thrive. And with those, those of you familiar with the show probably could see that that title would appeal to me, Permission to Feel. And as usual, I was drawn to it and judged, or at least was attracted to the book by its title. Um, but I actually even liked it more than I thought I would. I thought maybe based on the title, it would be too... Uh, touchy-feely, pun intended, uh, but it was actually very meaningful, and I got a lot out of this book, and I would highly recommend this book. Speaking of which books I highly recommend, early next year, probably on next week's show, I'll do the top 10 books or my 10 favorite books from this last year, and there's a very good chance this will be on that list. Um, so Permission to Feel, and that title itself has a lot of meaning because he shares that throughout the book that although feelings are so important and we're constantly feeling something and throughout the book he actually asks that question how are you feeling it almost in a way becomes a joke throughout the book because he keeps asking it uh, but it's to emphasize first of all how important that is um, to know what we're feeling and to, to recognize how we are actually feeling in any given moment, but also realizing how often we actually don't know what we're feeling. And so even though we are attached to ourselves, we're within our own bodies and brains, so to speak, we very often aren't aware of what we're actually feeling. We're very out of touch with that. And so this book is, is saying that we need to have first give ourselves this permission to feel. And oftentimes, importantly, it's 
the adults in our lives that can either give us that permission or take it away. And so he himself, uh, Mark Brackett, who is the director at the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, and he's a professor at the Yale Child Studies Center, he shares his own experience uh, being a kid, being bullied, that he was sexually abused, um, and all the, the hardships he was going through as a child, but that he was holding so much of those feelings in. And he does share a lot about his uncle Marvin, who was um, really a key figure in his life. But he shares how important it is for someone to give us that permission to feel, to actually ask us genuinely. Of course, we all, well, we all ask each other, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? In, in this very general way. But really, it's more of a, just a pleasantry of saying hello that we respond, I'm good, how are you, or nothing to complain about, or whatever it is we say. But it's really not much of a genuine ask. Uh, but really asking someone, looking at them and showing them that you care about how they're feeling. Unfortunately, we don't give them that most of the time. And especially we don't give people the permission to feel the negative emotions a lot of times, the more uh, unpleasant ones, sadness, anger. Those are less acceptable. If someone asks, asks, how are you feeling? And you say, hey, I'm good. That's acceptable. To say, I'm really sad and had a rough day that's a little bit harder for most people to accept or want to respond to. So um, that title itself is very meaningful and he shares that. And I was also very touched that Dr. Brackett shared so much of his own experience and that vulnerability. And it is definitely throughout the book, you see different aspects of his life and what he's gone through. And I thought that added a lot to the book, but also um, was walking the walk, so to speak, that he was being vulnerable and open in a book that's talking about getting people more in touch with their feelings and hopefully being able to open up to each other, open up and respond in appropriate ways. So I thought that was very meaningful throughout the book. You get to see his story, which also helps illustrate the points as well. And so the book also is, um, in a way, a testament to how important our emotions are, how we're constantly feeling something, how our emotions really drive everything. And I'm almost baffled at times when people downplay emotions because if we don't realize it uh, emotions are really why we do everything even if someone says i don't care about feelings i just care about things and i want to make money well they're at the end of the day they want to make money because it feels good to them or they think it will feel good to them and make them happy um, so emotions really are driving essentially everything we do yet they're still given much less importance or attention than they should. And we do that in our lives. We think if we have kids, we should focus on their grades. And the truth is their grades are important, but what's much more important is how they feel, how they feel about themselves, how they deal with their feelings, how they deal with things that happen in relationships. Those things are going to be much more important in determining how they will feel the rest of their lives rather than just their grades. And so this is why I often urge parents not to think of themselves as academic managers, which is what you see happening more and more, especially with how competitive schools are becoming and colleges are becoming. Parents think their whole purpose is to make sure their kids have a good GPA and have good grades and extracurricular activities and just create a good college application candidate. And they lose sight of actually developing a whole person or being part of that process. And as he talks about in the book, and I've mentioned before, IQ is often thought to be, or it was created in essence to help predict success. 
where that's one of the ways it's been used as well. If we know someone's IQ, we get an idea of their potential for success. But they're seeing that that falls short of really telling us much. And what's much more important is someone's emotional intelligence, because that's going to determine how well they can work with others, how well they can keep going, that they're not going to burn out as easily, that they will be able to manage themselves and handle themselves. It's much better predictor of even actually academic or professional success, but also just individual interpersonal success, how the person is going to feel in their lives. And countless studies have shown us that really when we want to measure long-term what's going to determine someone's happiness, the quality of their relationships is going to be the biggest predictor there. And if you are low on emotional intelligence, it's going to make it harder for you to have high-quality relationships, the type of relationships you need to be happy. And the good news is IQ is something that doesn't seem to change too much, especially once you're in early childhood, but EQ or emotional intelligence, these are skills that you can work on and improve on. And like any skills, probably people have different starting levels that they have, but we all can work on them and get better at it. That's the very good news. And so he um, has come up with this program called RULER, which is an acronym, R-U-L-E-R, but also they implement it in schools And even he talks a lot about working in businesses and other fields, but um, you can see he has a passion about integrating more emotional intelligence. And sometimes you'll see SEL, social social and emotional learning programs are being implemented more and more in schools, which is great. And as he talks about in the book, oftentimes people think, okay, well, well, we have to do the academic stuff and let's do this emotional stuff, whatever it is on the side. And that's actually not the way it needs to go. The emotional stuff has to be part of everything. It has to be embedded in the culture of the school, from the teachers, the administrators, and every lesson. It shouldn't just be, okay, 10 minutes a day we talk about feelings. Um, Emotions and relationships and these issues need to be part of every aspect of what's going on. It has to be embedded in the actual educational process. But let me go through his ruler um, skills or uh, definition of for the emotional intelligence that he talks about. So the first skill, the first R, is recognizing. So recognizing the occurrence of an emotion. So this is actually could be in yourself and others, but if we're talking about ourselves, we have to get in touch with ourselves. And so that means we have to ask ourselves, and that's why he asks throughout the book, how are you feeling? So you really have to first make that effort and that uh, mindset of looking inward. I want to know what I'm feeling. I want to understand, which actually is the next one. I want to know what I am feeling at any given moment and also what other people are feeling. So getting in touch with that from our uh, physical aspects of our body that can give us that emotion, from our thoughts, all those types of things. So recognizing is the first R and ruler. Then the U is understanding, which I kind of hinted at before with that one, they come together in a way, but you try to understand why you're feeling what you're feeling. This is more the why. So the recognizing is the what, what am I feeling? The you is understanding the why, which is very important. Okay. I'm feeling sad. That's good. But why might I be feeling sad? Oh, you know what? I think it's because my interaction with so-and-so didn't end so well. And now I'm, it kind of put me in a bad mood. Maybe that's why I'm sad. And as he also mentions before I go through the rest of these, and it's something I've said 
many times before here too, when people talk about, well, no, logic is better than emotions. Emotions are just messy and a waste of time and get in the way of the important things. But as he puts it, a whole chapter is called Emotions. Sorry, I don't know if there's, <laughs> I don't know if you guys could hear that, but our phone was making some sounds. Um, emotions are information. There's a whole chapter called that. And that's exactly what I think, that when we think about our feelings and our emotions, it's not that they should determine everything, but they can be a big source of information and understanding. Without that, we're missing a lot or a key piece of the information in any given situation. So we should think of our emotions as information. Okay, now that I know them, I understand them, I can actually use them in my favor. Not knowing them could only actually hurt me. So we want to recognize them and then understand them. And then the third skill is labeling. And this means actually using a word to describe what you're feeling or words if it has to be to really give a more precise description of what you're feeling. And what's interesting is that what they find is the more precise you can be. So rather than just saying happy, if you can differentiate between happy and ecstatic or elated or pleased, and it's more specific and more accurate, that does better than when you are just using general terms. So part of actually developing this skill in the labeling is to improve your feelings vocabulary, the words that you have to describe emotions, that you don't just have a few and you realize there are so many more to them. And so you can develop this skill in recognizing that there are much more, uh, it's much more granular for your feelings. It's not just, I feel happy. You can feel a huge range within that uh, feeling state or around that feeling that makes it very important. And it actually could increase your self-awareness when you're aware of, okay, actually I'm ecstatic right now. That's what this feels like. And this is something we help our children with too. When they're very young, of course, they're first learning those words from us. But as they get older, even learning those differences, that there's a difference between disappointment versus sadness versus uh, embarrassment, even though they might all feel kind of negative and maybe they'll think they're the same, they're very different and they can be caused by very different things. So that's the third skill, labeling, which is very important. Now, the fourth skill is expressing. And this is very important because sometimes people think if we're saying feelings are so important, that means whatever you feel, you just express it however you want, whenever you want, and that's okay because that's what you feel. And that's not true at all because we have to be responsible for how we express our feelings. We can't just say, well, I'm angry, so I hit you or I did this really bad thing, but I was angry. You're angry, which is very important to acknowledge. But now you have to determine what's the best way to express that based on who you're dealing with, what the context is. Sometimes even the best thing is actually to hold it in to a more appropriate time. That's That can be the best thing. So it's not always about just expressing it in the moment, but this is a very important skill when it comes to emotional intelligence. And the last one is regulating, which means what do we do with our feelings? So if you have this really big feeling of anger or sadness or whatever, even happiness, sometimes actually as he talks about our positive emotions can get us in trouble too. If you're too happy or in too good of a mood, it can actually make you not as aware of negative things. So you might plan in a way that you don't recognize some potential issues in what you're planning. Um, but regulating our feelings is very critical when it comes to our emotional intelligence. And he talks about things like mindful breathing, which is very important, um, that we can just with taking some deep breaths actually affect our mood and this can be very powerful and we we say things like affect our mood or manage 
but not control. We can't just, in my opinion, when people say control your feelings, you can't completely control your feelings, but you can help to regulate them, manage them. And that's what we're trying to do. So it's not like, well, if you do deep breathing, you'll always be able to calm yourself down no matter what. No, but you might be able to calm yourself down from a 10 to a seven. And that could be huge in preventing yourself from doing something really bad or getting yourself in trouble or just being in such a displeasing state. So that can be very important, but also cognitive things that we can do. And he shares something they've developed called the meta moment, which is first of all, taking a pause. And this is very important. And lots of people have talked about this. Stephen Covey talks about this in the seven habits of highly effective people, how there's a space between the stimulus and your response. So rather than reacting, you can respond. But here he's talking about taking a few seconds and maybe even taking a few deep breaths before you react or do something. But also he shares this way of thinking about the best version of yourself. So imagine who you want to be. Let's say if you're talking about being a parent and you ask yourself, how do I want to be as a parent? Or how, if I was being my ideal self as a parent, how would that be? Now you're never going to always, you know, we can't always be that perfect version of ourselves or we'll never be perfect, but it can be a way of just taking some time to see your best self, imagining that best version of yourself, how you would like to act and respond in this situation. And that can be helpful uh, in those moments. Um, but the book, of course, has a lot more about these different skills and then also talking about uh, using ruler and using this emotional intelligence framework in the schools, at home, uh, in the workplace. And I, I really did enjoy the book and even looked into his program and seeing how I could learn more about it because I think it's so important. And if you, your, your kids are in a school, I would really recommend seeing what kind of emotional intelligence, what kind of, sometimes, as I mentioned, they call it social emotional learning. They have different terms for it, but how they incorporate this into your children's curriculum and in the school itself, because I think it's almost a no brainer that we, we put this in every school some format of uh, emotional intelligence being a part of really everything. Because if we don't do that, we're doing a huge disservice to our children and educating them because we're not just educating them about knowledge in certain fields. We're helping them develop into human beings, into adults. And that means also developing their social emotional sides, which even are more important than the academic uh, subjects. So something to think about, but also as the title itself says permission to feel ask yourself do i give my children the permission to feel do i give them that option and then even with ourselves do we give ourselves that permission to feel which i think is very important to think about as well so great book highly recommended permission to feel by mark bracket uh, and after the break i'll be talking about the world according to mr rogers important things to remember from fred rogers we'll be right back Welcome back. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm going to do two books today because I didn't have any shows last week. So the second book is The World According to Mr. Rogers, Important Things to Remember. And uh, this was created, I believe, in 2003, shortly after his death, but compiled from speeches and uh, writings that he had. So it's in his own words. Some of them actually are songs that he used from his show, but covering a few 
different broad topics. Um, and you've probably heard me talk about him before, but he is one of my heroes, Fred Rogers. I remember as a kid watching the show and liking it, um, but actually grew to admire him more and more as I got older myself. So I remember him from my childhood and really uh, loved watching his show, but respected him more as I've gone older and seen the great work he has done for really decades and what he uh, contributed to so many people's childhoods. Or, uh, and that to me is very important. And I'll get to that and actually sharing some of his quotes related to that as well. So the different chapters include the courage to be yourself, understanding love, the challenges of interdiscipline, and we are all neighbors. And so basically the quotes and things get divided into those types of uh, categories. And so what I really admire about Fred Rogers was that he made a big impact in the world, but really by doing it in what might be seen as an unconventional way. He didn't try to make a big splash or um, do things in a way that would become very popular, especially I think now that message is so important because people become famous for a lot of times the wrong things. And everyone, but especially the younger generation, can be so focused on how can I get more likes and follows and how can I do something that goes viral. Not to do something meaningful that goes viral, not to do something that because it has a big impact it goes viral, but just something, anything uh, that can do that. And even you see people doing really stupid things, really hurtful things. Even there was... Um, the rapper Drake had this girl in her video and it turned out she had gotten famous. Now, he didn't pick her necessarily for this, that part. I won't get into I'm not blaming him for that or talking about that part. But for throwing a chair from like the 40-something floor of an apartment unit in Toronto. And it landed on the road or landed somewhere on the floor. It didn't hit anyone, but of course could have really even killed someone or multiple people or created even multiple uh, deaths on by landing on the road. Um, and in a way, she's famous, and that's kind of what she probably wanted. And I think that's so sad that we see that, that people are just looking for a way to get famous, and sometimes they really do. And it keeps promoting this mindset that just try to get famous whatever way you can just by doing something outrageous or crazy because it might go viral and then you'll get that attention, maybe get 15 minutes of fame, maybe it'll stick longer than 15 minutes. And I think that's very heartbreaking, but you see that Mr. Rogers was in a way the opposite of that. He did everything unsensationalized. He just did what he thought was meaningful, good work. Uh, even on his show, he did something which can seem so crazy if you're thinking of making exciting television, but just letting a clock go for a minute and saying, this is how long a minute is. So in a way, showing kids, this is kind of how time passes. So you understand, let's say your parent says it's five more minutes, this is one minute. And just was nothing but the clock going for one minute. But to me, that's something I admire about him. And also that he created such a big change in the world and had such a big impact just by being kind and being good. Of course, he was also very brave, as his wife talks about in the opening of the book. He was courageous because, again, these ideas he had were not always so popular when it came to TV, and especially he was making 
programs when there was fast-moving cartoons with lots of flashes and lights and sounds, but he did none of that. He wanted to create what he thought was meaningful TV, and he really believed in it. And that's also something I really admire about him is that he did what he really believed in. He stuck to his principles and had a huge impact in the world. And also just his kindness and demeanor and character, I think, is something very admirable as well. So I thought I would share some of the passages or quotes that they have in the book. Some are longer, some are shorter, um, and share some thoughts on those. Um, Here's one. When I was a boy, I used to think that strong meant having big muscles, great physical power. But the longer I live, the more I realize that real strength has much more to do with what is not seen. Real strength has to do with helping others. And so for me, that was also very meaningful because uh, when we think of heroes, usually we think of like superheroes, especially as a kid, it's these super strong, usually men, but also could be women with all this physical strength. Uh, But as I get older, also, I think that it really, even then we thought of the heroes helping others, but we see that you don't need those big muscles and that's not really the physical power that makes you a hero. It's what you do to help other people. And that's why also I think of him as one of my heroes, Mr. Rogers, because he was someone who was focused on helping others. Um, Here's another one. Uh, If the day ever came, this is about parenting. And I think it's a good uh, description of what it means to be a good parent. If the day ever came when we were able to accept ourselves and our children exactly as we and they are, then I believe we would have come very close to an ultimate understanding of what good parenting means. It's part of being human to fall short of that total acceptance and often far short. But one of the most important gifts a parent can give a child is as the gift of accepting that child's uniqueness. And I really liked that sentiment that to accept your child as they are. And also, as he says, very importantly, it's hard for you to do that until you accept yourself as you are and to see yourself. And so that part is actually very challenging. And as we often say, when you want to be a good parent until you really are dealing with your own things, until you fully loved yourself and understood yourself, it's hard for you to give that love your child. Now this next one, um, and these are all in the categories of understanding love, but this is one that's very important for me and one that I talk about related to crying and letting others cry and what we usually say when someone is crying. People have said, don't cry to have other people for years and years. Sorry. People have said, don't cry to other people for years and years. And all it has ever meant is I'm too uncomfortable when you show your feelings. Don't cry. I'd rather have them say, go ahead and cry. I'm here to be with you. And I love that because uh, that's so in line with what I think and I've seen myself. Usually when we tell someone not to cry, it's not for them. It's for ourselves. We can't handle it. But as he says, um, what we hopefully will verbally say and also show with our actions is go ahead and cry. I'm here to be with you. And to me, that, that was quite beautiful. And so the, the book is filled with these um, kind of sh- mostly short types of quotes and s- things that he said about these different topics uh, that I thought were quite lovely. Uh, some of them are, are longer, um, so I won't get to all of them, but um, even some have to do with disagreements and how even in a family, doesn't mean since you love each other, you won't have fights or that you won't even 
be upset with each other and not want to be friends with each other in that moment. But we want to show them that that's okay. Show our kids that it's okay to have conflicts and disagreements. And that doesn't mean we don't not love each other and things can still work out even if that is the case. Um, moving to, this is still in the understanding love, uh, listening. This is, what I like, he had a few quotes on listening and that was something when you see Mr. Rogers, you see what listening really means. It's not just about hearing the words because when you would see him interact with a child, he would look at them in such a way that he was taking them in fully as a human being and seeing and hearing all of them. Not just, I hear your words, but I hear you, I see you. And so here, this is a nice quote on listening. Listening is a very active awareness of the coming together of at least two lives. Listening, as far as I'm concerned, is certainly a prerequisite of love. One of the most essential ways of saying I love you is being a receptive listener. And how true that is for so many people who wish they had someone that would listen to them or wish that the people who tell them that I love you would listen to them as well, or at least give them that. And we often don't get that feeling of being fully listened to and heard. When we love a person, we accept him or her exactly as is. The lovely with the unlovely, the strong along with the fearful, the true mixed in with the facade. And of course, the only way we can do it is by accepting ourselves that way. Um, and so I think that's a beautiful quote again, that if we don't accept ourselves that way, we can't love someone that way. But when we love someone, we love the good and the bad. We see all the parts of themselves, uh, of that person. And so we have to do that with ourselves as well. And so there's so many quotes I wrote down, maybe 30 or 40, um, that I liked, but I'm just reading you some of them. Here's another one. This is on the challenges of interdiscipline, but it's, um, speaks to what I was saying before of him being not about the flashy and the exciting, but realizing that things happen in small steps that to make progress, take small steps. And he was a very disciplined person. I think he would swim every single day. And he talks about how he sometimes didn't want to swim, but he would just to keep that going, to do that and have that discipline. Um, but here's a quote related to that. Development comes from within. Nature does not hurry, but advances slowly. And so I think it's a good reminder that when we're trying to make progress, if we try to do things too quick or think it's going to happen too fast, usually it doesn't. And it's not um, the case. Uh, he also talks about success and he says how it's a balance between wishing and doing. And I thought that was interesting because when you see someone with a kid's show and you think it's all about imagination and make-believe, um, there is some of that. And he does do a great job of expressing that make-believe world or going into that magical world. But he also talks about if we want to make any progress, you have to do something. Wishing itself is not enough. And so he says that what makes uh, someone successful is managing a healthy combination of wishing and doing. So you have to have that imagination and give yourself that space to think about what you wish to see happen or wish to do, but then you have to make it happen. Um, and as I talk about goals probably next week for New Year's, that's something to keep in mind that when we make these resolutions, make these goals, I might actually talk about it at the end of the show uh, tonight as well, that it's not just about um, wishing what do I wish to be in 2020? That's good, but you have to see what are the actions to get you there as well. And if you stop at just wishing, you probably won't get very far. So there's all sorts of quotes 
that he shares throughout the book. He actually shared a, a quote um, from the book of the week next week, The Little Prince, um, which is, he talks about how beside my chair is a saying in French. And so it's the quote that's, I won't say it in French, but from The Little Prince, which says, what is essential is invisible to the eyes. And uh, how important it is to realize that those things that really matter in life and as you get older uh, and get closer to the truth, as he puts it, you realize that those things that really matter in life are the things that we can't even see. Things like love and care and kindness. You can show them through actions, but really the feeling is something that you can't see. And I'll conclude with this quote um, because it relates to him and it relates to what I was saying before. He, another quote he shared about uh, being strong and being a hero, but he, here's this last one. When I was very young, most of my childhood heroes wore capes, flew through the air, or picked up buildings with one arm. They were spectacular and got a lot of attention. But as I grew, my heroes changed, so that now I can honestly say that anyone who does anything to help a child is a hero to me. And so because of that, Fred Rogers definitely is a hero to me and one of my favorite people and such an inspiration. And Really, I admire him and always think about him often, especially when I'm working with children in, in a way, kind of one of those, what would Mr. Rogers do, but how would he interact with this individual? So I uh, wanted to, in a way, pay homage to him because he is one of my heroes and share a book about him. I know there's the movie out. I actually haven't seen it where Tom Hanks plays him. I haven't seen that yet, um, but I really did enjoy this book. That was The World According to Mr. Rogers, Important Things to Remember, and it's from Fred Rogers' writings himself. All right, going to our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So this is the last show of 2019. And so um, I think next week I'll talk a bit about setting goals. Uh, I'm sure people are already setting New Year's resolutions and you already see a lot of posts about them. And actually, I wanted to talk about one of those things that people post or one of those hashtags or phrases that comes up a lot, which is New Year, New You. New Year, New Me, New You, whatever you want to say. New Year, New You. And it always rubs me the wrong way when I see that. I, mean, I think it sounds nice and like a lot of things uh, people base on how it sounds and it sounds exciting. But there's a few issues I have with that or things I think are worth thinking about when it comes to this mindset of new year, new you. Um, the first one is probably not, <laughs> meaning that you're probably going to be the same you next year. Now, it, first of all, I'll get to this later. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But um, this idea that we sometimes have that magically when, as if we're Cinderella reversing uh, at midnight, instead of like turning back into this ugly version of ourselves, we turn into this beautiful, perfect version of ourselves right at midnight. It is not very likely. You're probably going to be more than, more or less similar uh, or the same to how you were, but that's not all bad. And so one of the reasons why we do this, one is of course, we're just hopeful or we can go into a place of magical thinking where everything is just going to work out or everything is going to change next year. But we also see in research, neuroscientists will find that when people think about their future self, um, the part of their brain that gets activated is as if they're thinking about someone else, not themselves. It's like a third person. So it's not like we're thinking about me, Farid, 
in February of 2020. In a way, my brain thinks of it as a different person. And so that's why sometimes it's easier for us to imagine that person being so different from us, especially being better than us. So a lot of times people think, okay, uh, today I'm going to just rest and do nothing. But then starting Monday morning, I'm going to wake up at six every day and read for three hours from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Then I'm going to go to class. Then I'm going to come out and read for two more hours. And I'm going to do that every day for two months or whatever it is. And we make this crazy goal because in that future self, we have this idea that we're somehow different and we're going to be so much better that you won't be the same person that has a hard time, let's say, getting out of bed before 8 a.m. most days. So how are you going to wake up at 6 every day? But it's like you're a different person. So it could be whatever your goal is, exercise, diet. We have these mindsets that we're going to somehow be so different in the new year because we, in a way, are imagining a different person is going through those steps or will have to go through those steps. But you have to remember that you will be carrying yourself into the new year. It'll still be you. So you have to make goals that make sense for you and make steps towards those goals that make sense for you and who you are and who you've been. I'm not saying we can't change, we can't grow, uh, we can't do different things. Of course we can. But to think that it's going to be a, in some way this totally different person, that is usually coming from one, this uh magical thinking that we all can hold on to from childhood that somehow a magic wand is going to change us kind of like that Cinderella type of a thing um, into the bell of the ball or also because we can imagine it's almost someone else that has to do all that hard work when it's no it's going to be you and if it was hard for you to do that work this year it doesn't mean next year it's going to be so easy it still will be a challenge another issue I have with new year new you is that it somehow implies this you is not very good, that you're somehow not accepting you as you are. And actually, there was several quotes I shared, and there was probably more of them in the book um, by Fred Rogers, where I was talking about how really when we love someone, we accept them with their good and their bad and who they are. And also, I'm, I really like the quote from Carl Rogers about this uh, topic where um, I'm going to be paraphrasing, but it's the curious paradox is that only when I accept myself as I am, then can I change. So we have to love and accept who we are now to, to be able to change who we are. If you say, oh, I hate myself, so I have to change. Usually that doesn't work very well. But if you say, I love myself, I accept myself, I see myself as I am now, and I want to grow in these ways, that that's usually more likely to lead to change that I hate myself, I better change so I can love myself. Love yourself now, and then you can slowly make changes towards whatever it is you want to make. Because let me make that very clear. I think we should always be growing. So my point isn't to say no one can change, no one will change, everyone's going to stay the same. Because to me, if you're not growing, you're dying, essentially. You're either growing and living or you're dying. And so we should always be growing. If you look back five years and look back to today, you should see a different version of yourself, not completely different, but you should hopefully see ways that you have grown, ways you've improved in various aspects of your life and not just aspects of your life as far as things like career and financial standing, but as far as your character goes, are you a kinder person? Are you a more disciplined person? Are you a more caring person? Are you prioritizing your time more wisely? those types of things about your actions and your character more than just what you've 
accumulated is hopefully what you're focusing on. And so that's some of my issue with the new year, new you mentality is one people often, we almost roll our eyes, or at least I know I even catch myself doing it when people say they're going to be this totally different person because more than likely you might grow, but you're not going to be a totally different person. But two, and very importantly for me, is that you're in some way saying, I don't accept myself as I am now. I'm not giving myself a good feeling about who I am now. So setting goals, I'm, I'm all about that. But saying that somehow I need to become a new me, that's where I have some issue and doesn't feel quite right to me when people say that. So we can set the goals, and I hope everyone is thinking about things they want to work on. Um, and of course, uh, New Year's is this time where people always do set goals, and almost everyone has the goal of, let's say, working out more. And that's why if you go to the gym the first week of January, it's going to be packed. And then if you go first week of February, it's a lot more empty. Um, so a lot of people want to, to exercise more, want to get in shape, want to do all the good things. And that's something also to think about. Of course, we know the things that we want to do. Most people want to do a lot of the same things, but they're a lot harder to do than we think. And actually, one of the things we can do is to plan in a way where we think about that future self that I was talking about as closer to ourselves than we think. And so that's why I was saying when you think about those future goals and the ways you're going to do them, make sure you're thinking about you doing them. So if you know you have a hard time getting out of bed, maybe the morning workout isn't the way for you. Maybe it's going to be an evening workout or afternoon workout or however it's going to be. Um, if you know you don't like to do yoga, don't tell yourself that's how I'm going to get in shape is doing yoga every day. You can try it. Actually, yoga is wonderful. But if it's not you, keep in mind you're the one that has to be doing the things in the new year to get yourself to where you want to be. Like, you know, I can use an example myself. The books of the week um, was a New Year's goal from 2017. So I made that in the end of 2016, going into 2017. And I wasn't quite sure I could do it. I did read here and there, not as much obviously as I'm doing now. Um, and I knew I wanted to read more always. And so I said, let me try this. And so that's been one New Year's goal that I've kept now. And for three years, I've kind of renewed it. And I'm planning to do that again going into next year. And then it became a book of the week for the show. But it was in a way consistent with who I was. And I thought about how I could achieve it in a way that made sense. I could read a bit every day. And I do always think about it. Another thing that's very important when it comes to goals is we have to become preoccupied with it. So... Um, if you ask me how much I have left in my book of the week, almost at any time I do know, cause I have it in the back of my mind, how much I have left to read and what days and what times I have to read that so that I'm prepared, um, for usually Monday when I have to talk about the book. And as I mentioned before, the accountability is another great way to help us achieve those goals as well. Um, so I know that I have to be ready to talk about the book on this show, so I have to read it and read it pretty carefully so that I can do that. So those things also help me. But I made that as a goal that was consistent in a way with who I was and I understood myself and it was challenging and wasn't guaranteed I would be able to do it. But I'm glad that I was able to do that. So uh, I hope everyone is thinking about some goals they can make for 
2020, but don't think about them as I have to create a completely different version of me. I have to become someone totally new next year because think about the you that you are now and love the you that you currently are. And so to me, that's also very important. It's not just about thinking about new you and I have to change who I am. It's thinking about, okay, what about this you, the you that you've had your whole life and really even the you you'll be next year, you can grow and you'll change, but in some ways you also carry with you all the yous of the past, so to speak, and they're all part of who that is. You're not getting rid of this you. And so if you have that feeling of so much, I don't want to be me, I want to be this different me. So new year, I have to become a, a, a new you, a new version of myself. That's something that we really should think about. Why am I so unhappy with who I am? And yes, you might say, well, that's what the goals are about. That's why I want to work on this and this and this and this. But really look first at who you are now. What is it about yourself you do love and don't love or you're having a hard time accepting? Because that's very important to understanding yourself more. Uh, the first book I talked about today, Permission to Feel. Understanding why you're feeling that way. Okay, you don't like where you are in your career. Try to understand that better. Is it really because you don't like what you're doing? Is it because of how people are looking at what you're doing? Is it because you're not making the amount of money that looks a certain way to certain people or to yourself or what you want to be or the image you're trying to put forward? What is it really about? Are you unhappy in your relationship really because you feel lonely? You don't feel fulfilled? Or are you unhappy with your relationship status because of pressure from other people and what they're thinking or what they're expecting or what you want to look like on Instagram or want to look like in some different way. So rather than just thinking about the goals, we want to think about who we are now, trying to understand what might be there, what might be missing, why am I feeling this way? And I would hope for everyone that in these last days of 2019 and hopefully for the rest of our lives, we focus on loving who we are now and not being only focused on becoming something or someone lovable. We don't need a new you. We need you to love you now, to love who you are, accept who that is, and to grow if you'd like in whatever ways you want. You can continue growing, but it's going to be this same you. There's not a new you that's going to magically appear, and that's actually a good thing. I hope you can love the you that you are, and I can love the me that I am now, that I will also be in 2020, and not think a new version of me is the only way that I'll be lovable. Today me is lovable too. So that brings us to the end of this last show of 2019. I'll announce the book of the week, um, which I'll talk about next week in the first show of 2020. It sounds kind of crazy to be already almost in 2020. The Little Prince by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but I'm sure you're all very familiar with that. The Petit Prince, The Little Prince. Very much looking forward to reading this again and sharing it with you next week. And as always, it's such a pleasure to get to do this show and talk uh, with all of you and the feedback you all give me. So for another year, it's been a pleasure of mine to do this show. And as always, as is almost always the case on Monday nights, Amir is here with me. Amir, thank you for all of your dedicated work and service in here to make sure I sound good or as good as I can each night. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. 
So to everyone listening, have a happy new year. Look forward to being with you early in 2020. Have a good night.